Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and cat host, <laughs> Chairman. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So, Chad, Marvel released some very important uh, announcements this week. Chief among them was information about a Disney Plus show transitioning to the big screen. Your thoughts, Chad, on Gwyneth Paltrow signing a contract to appear in Armor Wars, mandating that it show up in theaters. How? How do you manage to lead off with that? When because that's the only logical conclusion that that Gwyneth's, Gwyneth laid down the law and said, "I will not come back as Pepper Potts unless you do this as a movie." And they were like, "Okay, guess we'll make it a movie." Nothing to do with budget or you know uh, computer graphics or very expensive suits. No, no, it's all about Gwyneth, all about Pepper Potts. So, in this scenario, we have. What is the actual first black superhero in the MCU proper? War Machine, the, the first one, is never had a solo movie, is now was getting a solo show, is transitioned to a movie. That should be a big deal. Uh, dealing with the legacy of, of Tony Stark and all of that stuff, that should be a big deal. Coming off of Secret Invasion, where... You know, for my money, I think we're going to find out Rhodey was a scroll at some point. That should be a big deal. But you chose to lead it off with a person I hadn't even thought about being in the series. And, matter, and, you know, if you asked her, she wouldn't know if she was in it or not. You went that way instead of all the other ways you could have went. Well, yes, because as we all know, Rescue a.k.a. Pepper Potts, a.k.a. the leader of uh, Stark Industries, um, in a TV show about Stark Industries tech falling into the wrong hands, um, would be a pretty important player. And, uh, you know, Gwyneth doesn't do TV anymore. She's well past that point in her career. So she she made a phone call to Kevin and was like, let's make this a movie. That's how that happened. Or... They could have just called her and said, we need you for this next project. She shows up, films it, thinks she's in three different movies because that's how she works. She doesn't know what she's in. She just shows up, does what they tell her, and then she finds out later what it is. And they could have just stuck her in the show. I think that is more plausible than them saying, uh, uh, one of his past shows, let's just make this whole thing a movie. Which I'm not denying that Pepper Potts should show up in this if it was a show or movie. She should show up. It's a logical thing to happen. It should probably also be the last time that she shows up. But uh, I just didn't put any more thought in the Pepper Pots existing in whatever this is. Well, this now movie, former TV show. All right. So let's talk about this actual TV show that is now a movie. Um, Your thoughts, because there was quite a lot of noise made. Uh, coming out of Comic-Con when Armor Wars was not included in that presentation. It was dated and put on the release calendar at D23. Um, There has been speculation about its correlation to Secret Wars. Feige Feige himself has made references and inferences to that uh, extent. So your your thoughts on Captain James Rhodes um, getting his own movie instead of his own TV show and the possibility that in the same year we could get Captain America New World Order and 
armor wars. So, um, I think this is, um, I think this kind of shows why they didn't say anything about it for, uh, Comic-Con. Um, I mean, at the time I thought it was, you know, we want to focus more on the, the shows for D23, but it seems like it was probably in flux then. I mean, for them to make the announcement now, this had to have been in flux for a while. Um, but if they they know they have a they know they have a story they want to tell, but they don't think it they think a movie is more conducive for it. I think this is uh like a good sign for their process. They're not going to do they're not doing the project just to do it. They've announced it. And they said it was going to be a show, but no, however they work around the story is, it's telling them this feels more like a movie. And instead of them trying to force, they could, they could have forced the show on us, given us like six to eight episodes, stretch this story out over that time. And then, you know, like people complain about filler episodes now for Marvel shows. It would have been more, more the same. And this probably would have been more justified this just tells me that, you know, it's all about the story to them and what fits then what methods are going to fit the story to try to tell. So uh, this is actually kind of it's encouraging to me in that they're not so rigid in their process that they're going to stick with something when they think another way is better. Uh, that, was, that's, that was like kind of my my first thought process when I heard it. As for the movie itself, again, I think it's. Don Cheadle's been in the MCU longer than anybody that is not uh, um, Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Samuel Jackson, or Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, and he is a fantastic actor. So if you're going to, he has this role that he can do a whole lot of things with. And giving him a movie, I think it is, I thought the show was justified, but, um, you know, movies feel bigger. And it's not like we're giving it to somebody that can't carry it. We know what Don Cheadle can do. So I think this is uh, it's also exciting in that vein. Forget all the other story parts. Uh, just having Don Cheadle headlining a Marvel movie, I think that's another big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, my thing is um, their creative process for shows is slightly different than... Uh, their creative process for um, for movies. Um, a lot of these pitches have come from ideas from movie sets. Um, you know, they've talked about how Hawkeye was developed on the set of Endgame and how WandaVision was, you know, developed on the side of Endgame. And like, just from them talking about things and developing things as they went, Taika has said Thor, Love and Thunder came from conversations that were had on the set of Thor Ragnarok. Um, but like their development process for feature films seems to be different. I think that, I think that they, they looked at this and said, this is a two and a half hour movie, or this is a two hour movie. This show has a budget that's going to command us go and do this. Cause let's face it, even star Wars gets hit over the head a bunch with all this stuff looks crappy because you know, you're not on a movie budget. Look how Obi Wan can Obi Wan got murdered on the internet because this wasn't movie cinema quality. Well, because they weren't spending as much money 
they were spending similar money, but they weren't pay- making the spending the exact same money to make that show as they were for a film. Same way, you know, uh, that the Mandalorian looks like a Star Wars film, but it doesn't cost as much as a Star Wars film. Um, so I think budget. We had people in very expensive uh, CGI, completely CGI suits, maybe a part of it. I think the part that it has to play in the overarching narrative of the MCU might play a part. And yes, all joking aside, I do actually believe that there were contractual obligations and reasons why you needed to move this to a, a theatrical release. Because mainly... Let's set aside the Downey stuff for a sec. If you just look at the talent that you would have involved, most likely you would have involved Don Cheadle. You would have Olivia Coleman, most likely, um, depending on what happens with Secret Wars. You would have Sam Jackson. You would have uh, Sam Wilson or, or uh, Anthony Mackie, probably in some capacity. Um, you would have probably Iron Heart. And you'd probably have Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. Um, and right there, as you like list that out, those are, are big names. And then you add in people like Arnie Hammer, who could potentially return as uh, as old dude from, from Iron Man 2. Are you saying Rockwell? Um, yeah. You know, so uh, you, could, you could have all those kind of people come back. And if they do, they're going to command front-end payments and back-end payments and that kind of a thing. Stuff that isn't really easily to do with television. So, or even on the Disney Plus side. So, I do think there are some contractual reasons, even outside of the Downey stuff, um, you know, for why they would make this move. Yeah, the, um, I hadn't thought about the whole, uh, you know, visual effects aspect of it, but uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter, and yeah, the uh, the Iron Man suits have, you know, always had digital effects added to them, but somewhere around Iron Man, Iron Man, somewhere. Well, if you read the book, somewhere around Iron Man three, he stopped wearing a physical suit, right, and started wearing the green, the green stuff, and it was actually one of the things that got Downey to sign on for more, for more pictures was that he wouldn't have to physically be in the suit as much as he was on the first, first two Iron Man movies, um, and the other. The other thing, too, honestly, is like um, people didn't like some of the special effects that were done on Falcon and Winter Soldier. So like and that was a fairly largely budgeted production. So I, I, I don't know what effects they don't like in that show. It's, it's not I mean, it's I don't think it's as effects heavy as this would be because like, yeah, like you're saying, they're in mocap suits the whole time. Um and but there's nothing in Falcon and Winter Soldier that like distracts from the the distracts from the story of it all. I hear the complaints about She Hulk, and that I understand, and that is hit or miss. But I, I mean, I get it. But I mean, if they have to do it again, I bet they don't do as many episodes uh, to keep the. No, CG see, I tight. bet they do. They do as many episodes. I think the. The thing with with She-Hulk is because it is a CGI character, a fully CGI character, you run into the the Jar Jar Binks mm-hmm. of it all. And the more you have to pay attention to it, the, the more you can see the black lines of it all. Right. But the issue is. 
you either buy into the She-Hulk concept and go all in on the character and who she is and her emotional journey as Jen Walters slash She-Hulk and merging those two personalities together and figuring out her life balance all in a legal comedy setting, or you just fly the middle finger of it at it and hate watch it the entire time. <laughs> like there's no, there's no in between there. Like you, like there's an in between with Falcon and winter soldier. There's an in between with WandaVision. There's no real in between with she Hulk. You either buy into what the, what the concept of the show is, or you just fly the middle finger at it and get mad at it every week. Cause it doesn't give you the little daredevil man. Like there's, there's no, there's no in between there. Are the effects great? Not all the time. Some of the shots work. Some of them don't. I'm sure they reduce the number of close-ups, but their formula works. Um, what they are as a show works. It's just there's never been a there has not been a shot in in She-Hulk that has completely pulled me out of the show the way that some of the shots in the Lord of the Rings Rings of Power has. And I'd be willing to bet that Amazon spent more on the Lord of the Rings show <laughs> than Marvel mm. did on the She-Hulk show. So there you go. Yeah, I haven't, and, and, I haven't and seen the And while we're having this discussion, also, Chad, let's acknowledge the fact there are many effects warehouses and many dudes sitting behind, many brave men and women sitting behind computer monitors for long hours at a time under very harsh working conditions and very tight deadlines, pushing themselves to the brink to make these effects happen anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, we talk about those artifact houses. It's it's um, a touchy subject, um, and and I mean, if you pay attention, there's no way around that. But you know, that's the nature of the beast when when you deal with these movies and you deal with these shows. But I, I um, like that's an issue that needs to be addressed. But we don't need to address it here. It is a problem. I just want to acknowledge that part. But. Uh, Back to the the art house, the 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 digital effects of Marvel, um, yeah. I for what you're gonna need for the Armor Wars movie, and the effects work, movie seems to be the way to go. Uh, but again, they were. It, it seems like I mean they were they wanted to do a show first, so they weren't going to let the effects hinder them. They were going to go with what story they wanted first, and then they decided the story fit another medium and that coincides with um probably the strengths uh the, some of the strengths this this story would need so again it's like you know evaluating what you're doing and getting it right for the stories you want to tell and i think as long as they keep doing that you know we're still going to be get, uh, fine with what we get from marvel did they date it yet i know they dated the show uh, I don't know that they had put this on their release calendar, but I mean, they. As far as I know, they did not, and I don't remember the date of the show. What year was the show? Coming I mean, out? I know there was a showrunner. There was a showrunner attached. I don't know if that guy transfers over and just becomes director now. The well, he the so the showrunner would have been like the head writer, and I think he is he is transferring over as the writer for the movie. Uh, so I don't know if it changes the timeline because this wasn't. I think it's a twenty. It was a twenty twenty four show, so I don't think it's technically. I guess it could still be a twenty twenty four movie if they weren't they weren't planning on shooting or doing anything like that until next year anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I think 
you're right to say also that there was some back and forth before um, Comic Con because it's clear that that coming coming at this point is just there's just very little doubt that they were pondering what to do with this then. Right. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to find the list. Yeah, it did, it wasn't listed with Phase Four, Phase Five. Phase five. So Phase Five ends in 2024. I want to say Fall 2024. I think was the listing. Yeah, that's the listing. <laughs> I believe that is the case, and I, it's amazing. I can't find anything. Uh, from Nerdist. Yeah, I can't find anything. But I think 2024 is like... I think 2024 was the safe bet, but I'm not sure. Yeah, Don Cheadle will return as Rhodey, a.k.a. War Machine, in Armor Wars. Uh, The logo for the upcoming series. And uh, Cheadle was on set, on on stage to talk about that. Um... there was just a lot of news that came out of D23 as, <laughs> as it took so long for us to cover. Right. Um, by the way, Werewolf by Night is getting great reactions. I saw that they just dropped the uh, the screenish for everybody. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with what they thought yet. Armor Wars has not yet begun filming, but is expected to begin filming in 2023. That sounds about right. So that would, to me, suggest that they were planning on a 2024 yeah, 2024. That That's kind of what I thought it was. Because I, I know in one of those interviews with Don Cheadle, I believe it was Don Cheadle, he said they were they were going to be starting sometime um, next year. Do you have the timeline pulled up? Um, Not one from post-D23. All the ones I saw were uh, the ones we got from Comic-Con. Let me see. And on the uh, on the uh, Comic Con timeline, um, for Phase Five, uh-huh. uh huh, for yeah, Phase Five, where was uh, where's Blade? November twenty twenty three? Question mark. Yes, yes, it is. Okay, okay, that film no longer has a director, sir. <laughs> and depending on who you listen to, or who you hear from, or where you receive your news from, um, he was either. He either quit or he was fired. And so, sir, they are without a director. They were trying to start uh, trying to start filming. And apparently their big star who pitched this movie and wanted to be in it is very pissed off and angry that the uh, some of the action scenes are very crappy. They're allegedly doing a page one rewrite. Um, All kinds of craziness and chaos that no one will remember when the movie actually comes out. But as of this moment, it is something for us to talk about. So what say you, Chad, about uh, Blade losing its director? Okay, so um, the direct, I'll source uh, the director news and stuff because I watched that happen on Twitter. So the director news dropped from uh, one, it was Jeff Snyder and Justin Crow. They both dropped them pretty much like within five minutes of each other. You know, I think Justin Crow had the big story. And then from there, um, I know Snyder is the one that said that um, the script uh, is not of snuff. It's currently at 90 pages, which is short 
the the common thought is it's a minute a page, so an hour and a half. Uh, it only has two action scenes, and the action scenes were lackluster. And um, and that Mahershala was uh, frustrated by the whole process. And he went on to say that uh, a Feige was stretched too thin. And he and he said this is all from different sources. So, just taking that as the rumor on the street, not if I believe it or, and I advise you to take everything with a grain of salt. If all those things are true, um, then Blade, that date they have for Blade is not happening at all. Uh, it sounds like Blade will be pushed back by another year to get this right. Um, Mahershala might be frustrated, but because he came to them with this, I don't think he'll go anywhere. But I think they, I think for his case, also uh, to go back to our previous topic, um, uh, Jeff Snyder also has a tweet regarding the armor wars saying, uh, quote, this is code for getting too expensive. We can't justify the cost for a Disney plus series, but if it's a movie, then we can. And it's probably a bargain when you do the financial projections, especially if there's a cameo from a certain character, whether you get a certain actor or not. Huh, I missed that one. I wonder who this cameo is. He's talking about Downey. Oh, he's talking about Downey. Every everybody uh. is under the impression that because there is reference for it in the comics, as you've talked about with Ironheart mm-hmm. multiple times, right? That he could become a Jarvis type AI the way that Jennifer Comley is for Friday for Spider-Man and the way that Paul Bettany started his career in the MCU as, um, uh, it started in the MCU. Uh, there's also rumors out there about armor wars that, uh, Paul Bettany's white vision, uh, may also show up. So, oh, um, uh, Jocasta, that would be, Sagan? uh, if it's, if there are rumors about like visions, the uh, like the robot wife thing, is that what you're saying? No, there's rumors about white vision showing up in our. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I heard you wrong. Um, yeah, that would make sense. Well, that's a well, that's a good place to put him. Um, so the okay, so in in theory, the idea of AI Tony, it really works. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it with Ironheart, but Armor War seems like a good place to put AI Tony. The only thing with that is Robert Downey Jr. like sucks all the oxygen out of a room. So it would very much be a like I don't see there's any way around it being anything but like a goal not uh he'll probably have about the same amount of screen screen time or maybe a little bit more than what he had at homecoming. But just like Homecoming, you see how much oxygen was sucked out the room because Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark was in the movie. I, I think that can have a similar effect in Armor Wars, but it works story-wise. So, you know, I just don't... I have questions about, uh, you know, just the 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 uh, the practical parts of actually having Robert, Robert Downey Jr. back, especially with you know, how he went out and how meaningful that was in Endgame and all that stuff. And even though it's not him, you know, it's still him. So that's my issue with it. 
But uh, you know what Jeff said about the the budget and all that. That's probably true. Uh, it still if it's if if they figure the story works better as a movie and that aligns with the money, cool. If the money is forcing them into a movie, I'm a little less you know gung ho about the decision then. And here's and here's the original. Uh, um, here's the original tweet from the 27th. I'm told that the current Blade script is roughly 90 pages and features exactly two lackluster action sequences. Marciana is uh, Marciana Ali is said to be very frustrated with the process. Feige is said to be spread too thin, but that's just what sources are telling me. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> yeah, that, that last part is just because Jeff. Jeff's a bit of a contrarian, uh, so, you know, he can probably be getting he'll get it for for just reporting what he hears. So I get that. Um, so either way, I if if that's true. I think the movie moves back. Uh, I think Mahershala is frustrated, so they will have to address that. But I don't think he goes anywhere. Um, but the biggest part of that tweet to me is the the Feige stretched too thin because, I mean, they're still trying to do all these big things. And if you and if he really is stretched thin now and letting Blade fall through the cracks it's only a matter of time before other things start falling through the cracks. So that is the, that was like the big thing from that tweet for me. And like, it's going to inform how I watch what they do from here on out to see if that is true, because I want, if other things are starting to, you know, slowly chip away at things because it all goes through Feige and there's a lot of things going on right now. So, the way that the process works, at least as we know it from the book, is essentially that whereas on, in the early days of the studio, guys like Feige and uh, his lieutenants, his, his upper class lieutenants, um, were, eat, were on sets a lot. Um, Feige dedicated a lot of his time to Iron Man. He basically delegated yeah, First Avenger and Thor responsibilities to other producers, younger producers, other producers. They would come in to these retreats. They would pitch whatever the story was going to be for um, for Thor or for, for First Avenger. They would come up with concept art. There was a whole Marvel's one of the first big things Marvel did that was different than most studios at the time was they had a full like a full on visual development department that was all about just creating previs art <laughs> that could help inform decision-making processes. Um, but there was a dedicated Thor producer and a dedicated cap producer. And Faye was kind of designated uh, team Iron Man producer. And Faye was getting regular updates and kept in the loop about what was going on. For example, when Captain America first Avenger was shooting over in London and Thor was shooting over in London, but Iron Man was shooting in North Carolina. Like, he's still getting updates on the regular from London. He's just not physically on the set of London. And so when big things come up and they hit crossroads and the producer has to make a decision, he has the final say. But he talks to Kevin about 
what's going on and what Kevin feels is right. And so they collaborate and make the decision. That process sort of changed a little bit after the creative committee dissolved and the parliament came into being in that more people had more say, whereas with the creative committee, it was here's these 27 pages of notes that mean nothing. And that's kind of what drove Edgar Wright crazy, right? Um, the, the creative committee and waiting for notes from New York for no real reason. Uh, when you had Feige sitting right there on set, like Feige should have been able to make the decision, right? So that process has basically been kept intact. When they go to these retreats, they pitch, somebody pitches a werewolf by night movie. And they are put in charge of that movie from the developmental stage when they leave that meeting to the home video release or the, the digital release. And everything that contains Werewolf by Night, the director choice of Michael Chino, the scoring, the actors who are going to get cast, the uh, sound editors, the sound designers, the makeup artists, um, the writers, the director, all of that is under the purview of that producer. And Feige has input, and he is sharing information with Feige, Nate Moore. Black Panther, Nate Moore on the set physically in Atlanta doing Black Panther, Feige over here working on Civil War, Feige getting updates on what's going on in the Atlanta set for uh, for Wakanda, for uh, Black Panther, but Nate Moore is the one hiring Ryan Coogler. Nate Moore is the one hiring Ruth uh, that that tells that it approves going and getting Ruth Carter, you know. He's the one who makes those decisions, and he's consulting with Feige, and they're going back and forth about what is best for the product. That is the way the Marvel system, quote-unquote, works. So Feige, at this point in time now, delegate like decides what sets he wants to be on. There's no more, like, marquee franchise anymore, right? Like Iron Man, where, like, he's going to be on that set because that's the movie. He's personally put himself on both all on the Spider-Man sets, right? Because those are crown jewel movies for them, right? He's on the set and making all the decisions for all of the Avengers movies, right? Because those are crown jewel things. What I texted you and what my question is now is what you're talking about is what project is Feige choosing to be on right now? And therefore, what project would he have to pull himself back from in order to go make sure that this Blade thing is okay? Because this Blade thing, by all accounts to everybody, is a crown jewel thing. It's something that they very much want to get right because it was not done right the first time. And it has Spider-Man level importance in that sense, right? You want to do justice and get right by the character. So my text to you and my question was, what is Kevin pulling himself off of? That in order to go take care of the Blade stuff, and what does that mean for that project? Because if you look at everything that's in active development, it's a lot of things that are in active development that he could be on. We just don't know. And that is a very long rant. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think that was a very uh, informative rant. It, uh, um, that see, that's how I I always envision it working. Like with when, and and the book lays it out very beautifully, and it's a it's a must read for. Not even Marvel fans, but just films of the film fans of filmmaking process and how they've changed the game. It's it's a very good read. Yeah. So after, uh, particularly after Civil War and going into Black Panther, 
and how I learned about who Nate Moore was. That's how I envisioned all these things working. That yes, Feige's over everything, but producers have their particular projects and they do everything and they run things through him, but they're kind of in charge of that. So with that, that's why he marshaled all those people out at Comic Con. 2019 and introduced everybody to them because their their names appear on every Marvel project, but right. you don't necessarily know or associate, you know, I think it's uh Brad Stevenson with Thor. Right. But he's been the Thor producer from the beginning. And uh so having that being the way that I thought it worked, um while I know there are more projects, I didn't think Feige could be spread as thin as the way is this making it sound because the way this makes it sounds is the way I think a lot of people think of it is that Feige runs everything like so meticulously himself and then delegates out like the smaller tasks to uh to uh to the producers to and line they, producers. Yeah, and they just kind of carry out his will, not the uh, not the line producers being over projects and consulting with him. Uh, he might be he he's heavily involved in the overall thing, but the individual projects, the producers run themselves. Um, but so I never thought Feige would be stretched thin in that regard because he does already delegate it in that way. But to your point, um, I would think now, uh, since okay, since Iron Man was like his project before, I would think, um. You what you know are the event movies or his projects. So, um, the Avengers movies are him, um, and I would say like Fantastic Four, probably him. But but like Black Panther, that's still Nate Moore. Nate Moore still running that. So, one who is who is the the producer that would have been Overblade, um, and what. If Feige is over like the event things that are coming up, there isn't there isn't one like actively in development right now. We know the Avengers movies are coming, but they're like two, three years down the line. So maybe it's not so as, as difficult. of right now. As of right now, if you're looking at it, Wakanda Forever ends phase four and that's done and in the can. And they're going to show that in six weeks. Right. Right. That tickets went on sale today. All things good. The next thing is Quantum Mania, which again is already done and in post production and has been has been shot for a year, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's got like extensive VFX work because it's a Quantum Mania. Um, Guardians Three has been in development and or script stage and or shooting for what feels like five years, but <laughs> that's mainly because you know the guy got fired and then rehired and had to do a DC movie in between and then decided to do a TV DC TV show in between, right? Um. So he's had a, he's been a little busy and got married this past weekend, by the way. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, so that's Quantum Mania and that's Guardians Volume Two. Um, and what does that leave for twenty three? Um, there's the Marvels. Um, the Marvels, which Nia DaCosta is already wrapped filming on, right? And I would be willing to bet he was on that set, um, because of Bree's presence in the cinematic universe and because of them bringing on uh proton and um miss marvel and miss marvel so he might have been on that set but again that's been wrapped for a while um so if that's so marvel's uh 
what is next? So it's Quantumania, Guardians, Marvels. I think that's it for 2023. Was it? Yeah. Well, I thought Blade was supposed to be 23. November well, yeah, yeah. 23. Yeah, November 23. So but. it's possible that he, because they were supposed to start shooting in what, six weeks? Yeah. I mean, this is very, very similar to the timeline of Ant-Man, uh, the original Ant-Man movie, Ragger Wright is fired or leaves in April. They were supposed to start shooting in June, uh, in, in May. They end up hiring Peyton Reed, and then they end up pushing shooting back a month, basically. Right. Um. So if that timeline follows and Feige puts himself on the project, pulling himself off of post overseeing post-production for the Marvels or whatever he's doing, because it's very clear to me he was the lead producer on Multiverse of Madness. And then left. And then once that project was done, I think he hopped over to the Marvels. And then after the Marvels was done, I think he was, I think he was getting ready to oversee the Fantastic Four because of course they just hired a writer. They just confirmed a director. Like they, they're setting, they're setting up shop, if you will, for the Fantastic. Four. Right. And I, I think but he maybe, wanted to be a part of that. Right. So maybe what he needs to do right now is pull himself away from the early development stages of setting up the shop for the Fantastic Four and come over here and guide the guide the ship on the on the blade thing. Yeah. Um, the thing that would make me the happiest is Del Toro deciding that he needs to do another Marvel movie and do Blade again under the direction of Marvel Studios and production of Kevin Feige. But, you know, man can dream. Oh, uh, yeah, I think you're going to keep dreaming. But, you know. Hell, hey, I, I mean, can you imagine how many nightmare alleys that man could do with the money he'd make from? True, true, and and I never thought that Sam Raimi would come back not just not only to superheroes, specifically to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you know, we're here now; we live in a world where that happened. So, you know, it's not the most outlandish thing to think. So, but we're in agreement that if he had to pull himself up, that. He's probably setting up shop on Fantastic Four and he needs to he would have to pull himself off of that to get into that. And that it's not impossible for them to keep their production schedule because they've done this before with the Ant-Man thing. It's still only pushed filming back by a month. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, it's either that or you send whichever one of the most trusted producers over there. I mean, of course, I'm going to say Nate Moore because he worked on Civil War. He worked on the first Black Panther. He's working on this Black Panther, which looks from what we've seen. We'll talk about that later. Looks like it's going to be phenomenal, too. If he doesn't uh, like by he might have to go over there because of the Mahershala thing. But if not, if you could send Nate Moore over there, because I don't know what project he would be working on next. Black Panther is effectively done. Uh, He he. He could have the time to go over there and oversee this. Indeed. So let's talk about the setting up of the shop for um, the Fantastic Four. We got con- confirmation at D23, and we kind of glossed over it about Matt Sickman, who was the showrunner and di- the right the director rather of uh, of WandaVision, um, a former child actor himself, um, being hired to do the Fantastic Four. He was hired away from the Star Trek four uh, project that has been in development hell at Paramount since 2016. Um, you want to talk about like a franchise that is pretty much like 
in, in a in a TV only place, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. Um, the death of the death of the guy who who played Chekhov affected that film. The directing issues that they've had they had on Star Trek Beyond are well documented. Simon Pegg having to throw together a script really quickly. You know, Beyond had a bunch of problems, and then you just add on the death of the one of the most beloved actors, and it just it makes bringing everything together really difficult. So I, I can understand why Shipman would jump ship for you know the Marvel to work in the Marvel family again. Um, but your thoughts on them hiring Shipman away and the hiring of two guys who no one's ever heard of to write the uh, Fantastic Four reboot. <laughs> You know, I saw the news of the writers, and I have no idea who they are, so I don't remember their names. But I'll talk to talk about them at the end. Um, as far as Shackman goes, again, uh, just like we felt when uh, they said John Watts was going to do Fantastic Four, I think this shows the amount of trust that they have in Matt Shackman because we they haven't outright said it, but everybody knows. They want to get Fantastic Four right. Nobody thinks Fantastic Four has been done right. Uh, we've had three movies before uh, that uh, people feel various ways about. But none of, nobody thinks that they've nailed it all the way through. So Marvel wants to nail this all the way through. And getting a guy to direct it and be involved with the process from the script writing to casting, all of that is very important to them. So... He, the the bond they built over Wandavision shows that they have trust that they they feel they can give him like what could be another one of their crown jewels, um, not only a crown jewel but to show people that you know if you just give us our stuff outright we can always do this stuff and not have to uh, go through other people. Hint, hint, Spider Man. Uh, so I don't have an I don't really. I like what he did in WandaVision. I think WandaVision is totally different from what I think the Fantastic Four can and should be. So I don't really have an opinion on like what I think he's going to do. I think he can make a great Fantastic Four movie. Uh, I just don't know what it's going to look like because I I can't translate what I've seen him do in WandaVision to that. Now, I know he's done other TV shows and other people have seen him do stuff, so... You might have a better idea. All I've seen is one division. Uh, hiring unknown writers. I'm okay with that. Uh, give new people a shot and let them, and let's see what they can do. But again, we're giving new people a shot with what we think is a crown jewel. So that just tells me that whatever their pitch was for it uh, was so, uh, for lack of a better word, fantastic. It wowed them into doing this. So, um, We'll see, you know, hopefully if they if if that is the case, once this movie comes out, I will know these guys names instead of just, uh, you know, arbitrarily talking around the fact that I have no clue who their names are. And I really don't care to find out until we know more about the movie. OK, so um, let's see here. Um, yeah, he doesn't have. A huge CV. It doesn't look like I can pull it up here quickly. I know he's done like. Uh, I okay, say so done. he he was a director. Um, he was a director 
for 50, he's directed 55 projects. The, uh, he direct, the last thing he did was a Hulu, uh, document, uh, documentary series called, uh, Welcome to Chippendales. Hmm. Um, he is credited as a, uh, director on one of the, uh, Apple, uh, Godzilla TV shows that's supposed to come out. Uh, he directed one episode of Secession, one episode of The Boys, one episode of Billions, uh, two episodes of Game of Thrones. He directed 43 episodes of It's Always Sunny. That's what I knew, yeah. Um, he's directed one episode of American Gothic, six episodes of The Good Wife, um, one episode... He, he directed the, uh, the miniseries reboot of Heroes from 2015. Um... He's directed one episode of the Grace and Frankie show on Netflix, four episodes of Revenge, two episodes of Fargo, five episodes of Psych, um, mm-hmm. one episode of Mad Men, uh, one episode of Raising Hope, one episode of The New Girls, five episodes of House, um, two episodes of The Good Guys TV series that was short-lived, one episode of Chuck, one episode of Weeds, Three episodes of Hunk, of Ugly Betty, three episodes of B- Brothers and Sisters, um, one episode of What About Brian, two episodes of Everybody Hates Chris, um, four episodes of Everwood, um, one episode of Six Feet Under, one episode of Boston Legal, one episode of One Tree Hill, one episode of Judging Amy, three episodes of Over Bar- uh, Oliver Braun. And one episode of Once and Again. Extensive television resume. Uh, Notice no movies on that. Um, again, that's that's okay, but I, it's a lot of trust for an important property. If you can land something as weird and as different as WandaVision, you have the ability in the the chops to do something as interesting and fun as the Fantastic Four. Uh, the thing that's going to be most interesting to me is what he brings to the casting process mm-hmm. um, because of what he's looking for as opposed to what Marvel's looking for in a Reed Richards or a Sue Storm or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also just like where where for t- Fantastic Four fits in the timeline. It's coming right before the Avengers films. Um, we know that Kang will be in Quantumania. Um looking for something that is stolen <laughs> from him. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, it, it, I just think it'd be interesting to see where he where he may or may not differ from Marvel on casting. But we'll see. Yeah, we will see. So, uh, Chad, speaking of Quantum Mania, trailer has uh, piratedly leaked on the <laughs> Internet. I'm surprised Marvel hasn't uh, damned Hydra yet and just released the thing. But uh your thoughts on the full-fledged trailer, which we assume will be attached to Wakanda Forever for Ant-Man and the Mania, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Well, I think they don't just, uh, you know, damn it, Hydra release the trailer, I, mostly because of uh, the Black Panther trailer coming out today. Uh, if it were, I think if that trailer had come out and then they released this one, like, Within the next week or so, you probably get a damn. They fine, you got us, and they'll release it. That might be what they do now, but they wanted the focus to be on Black Panther today. Um, 
because that trailer leaks was that Saturday or yesterday? Uh, that leaked Saturday. Yeah. yeah, it was still too close to what they wanted to do with Black Panther. So I understand that. Uh, as far as the content, it's of, not that different from the footage that was shown at Comic Con. Exactly, uh, and that's how that's how we can tell that this is not a fake trailer. I mean, this would be really exquisite work if this was a fake trailer, but uh, it's pretty much the description of Comic-Con. The only thing I saw that was missing was uh, uh, MODOK, but I could have missed him. No, MODOK was there. Okay, I need to... MODOK was there. The the other thing that gives it away that it's not a fake trailer is it's being screened in front of an audience, which would tell me, which is interesting to me, because that tells me it was screened in front of a Black Panther screening. And Pro, yeah. my issue would be, why would you be test screening Black Panther a month, less than a month out from release? But that's just me. Um, Yeah, that is kind of weird. I don't understand that. Um, but you, you are correct. It is in front of a it is in front of a screening and, uh, and in front of an audience. That that is really weird. Now that I'm thinking about it, but neither here nor there. Um, oh, Looks like they went and took it down already. I was going to watch it again. But it's gone, so Marvel has done what Marvel does. But, um, yeah, if you've heard of the her, the trailer description for Comic-Con, this is exactly that. you heard that. us talk about the trailer description for right. Comic-Con. This is exactly that. Um, I, all of, the only thing that I don't recall being in there in the Comic-Con description was this idea, because a, a, a weirded-out version of the Comic-Con trailer also dropped. Someone with the wide angle looking up at the screen on their phone, remember? Um, the only thing I don't recall being in the Comic-Con presentation that was in this was Kong saying, um, you have something that I stole, that, that, that was stolen. From, there was something that was stolen from me, and you're the only one who can get it back. And, you know, this is a strange place, and I'm the only friend that you have. Those are those are lines that I don't remember being in the Comic Con footage. The ones that I the one that I did remember being from the Comic Con footage was, "You're an event. You've made a big mistake. I'm an Avenger. You know, I have I killed you before?" Yeah, yeah, because that was the big line everybody like really focused in on focused in on uh, in the trailer. Yeah, the the part you're talking about, uh, you're the only person that can help me find it. Whatever. Any description? I I didn't see any of the footage from Comic Con. But any of the descriptions that I saw, no, nobody mentioned that. So it makes me believe that that was added to this trailer. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was straight Comic-Con footage. So it is it's, it is the trailer we're going to get. It's the trailer we're going to get with Black Panther, which means in regular Marvel terms, we would get that like, what, a week or two before Black Panther dropped. So the end of this month, beginning of next. But thanks to... Um, the internet we might get it early who knows i'm surprised there's this much story that's many story elements in this tra- minute and a half almost two minute trailer there's well, a lot of story elements here i mean you have you have how they get into the quantum realm you have the introduction of bill murray's character and having some history with janet uh janet having some things that she hasn't explained to hope to hope and to uh, uh, uh hank um, and you get an, an extended, basically what, ex, ex, what it boils down to a one minute, uh, scene, uh, between Jonathan Majors and Paul Rudd, 
with uh, his daughter uh, being held ha- captive by a dude who's like, I have something that is stolen from me, and you're the only one who can help me get it back, which leads to speculation about what Kang could have had stolen from him that he would only need Ant-Man to get it back. And my answer to that would be the 10 freaking rings. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, with Marvel, we typically at this, this stage, we typically get two trailers. One's like the teaser trailer. The second one is more like the story trailer. I think this falls more in line with the teaser trailer, but I think because we, because they've introduced Kang, I think we have to get a little bit more story stuff in this one. And not and not a whole lot, but enough for you to realize that it's kind of the same character, but not. I think what whatever that he's whatever he's looking for, we'll probably find that out in the second trailer, which would have to which would have to come out. Um I mean, you would think it was coming. You're talking about Christmas Eve. I mean, you would have to be talking somewhere around Christmas because or after the first of the year, because it's a February release. Right. And I, and just like you, I went straight to Christmas, but I'm like, uh, nah, if they're going to follow the tra- trend of like this one about six weeks out, that would be in January. So I think we'll get this trailer in November. We get us like the full story trailer in, in January where we find out some more of the kind of story beats. Um, I don't know about it being the 10 rings. I, because Shang-Chi has the Ten Rings. Well, but he, something that was of an immense power that has been lost to him, and we don't know where the Ten Wings are in that universe, right? Like, if it's a separate, if it's a different, it's a different Kang, right, than the one we saw at the end of, of Loki. Yeah, but the he, timelines have been splintered, so. Yeah, see, and this is, and this, right here, what we're about to do, this is why I don't like this stuff, but. So he that is true, but he is in our universe now. So those should be our Shang-Chi's Ten Rings. And we know from the end of Loki, we we know from the end of the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings that there was a homing beacon that neither Captain Marvel nor um, Bruce Banner could identify. And that the rings were said by Wong, of all people, Wongers, um, you know, it was said by Wongers that they were calling out to somebody or signaling something. No. So, you know, that's a plausible thing. Yeah, that is a good catch. I just don't know how you construct the home. How movie. you square it with the quantum realm. I well, don't, I don't either. But. Well, not, well that too, but if it is, if it would be the 10 rings that he's after, how do you square having this whole movie about Ant-Man and no Shang-Chi who has the 10 rings? You know, it normally sounds like the whole thing of, Oh, you're looking for this guy, and that happens in the stinger. But it's because we've already met Shang Chi, and we know what he has. I don't think, I don't think that's a good way to do business in this instance. And I think it has to be something specific to Scott, and more Scott and or um, Janet. And I think it's going to have to do more with Janet than anything from her time in the quantum realm. Which you know would answer the question of why she was like. There are some things I haven't told you. Right, right. Um, and I'm just happy to see Bill Murray still up and about acting and doing wonderful things. Yeah. Um, that's going to be fun. Um, and still no word on whether or not Patton Oswalt is going to pull double duty and also play 
Modoc. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, so one final Marvel thing to get to as we prepare to close out this episode. Chad, it was very creepy to watch that man take a photo of a sleeping woman after having taken a syringe to her, extracted her blood, and then fired off a text message. That was straight up the most uncomfortable I have been in a Marvel property yet. Oh, oh. But I but that's how you're supposed to feel. Like it's a I mean, they built him up to be like this really good guy that you wanted Jen to be happy with. And even him like, you know, even him ghosting up in, like from her point of view, the way they interacted, you would think, okay, something must have happened to him. So you, even as I'm watching that I'm, and they're saying that he ghosted her, I'm like, yeah, but there's more to it than that. But I'm thinking only in regards to him being a good person. So I'm thinking like somebody grabbed him or something like really mundane, like his phone broke and he couldn't get another one for X, Y, Z reasons and whatnot. So they spent all that time putting all that good energy into him. When you see what he did, it has to be so vile, so repulsive that you'd be like, oh, this dude is a scumbag and a piece of crap. And getting her blood is one thing. It's the picture that is what sends it over the top. That's like, oh, this guy is the worst. And it, it fits into the whole, you know, what this show has been about, about, about the, uh, the wrongs of, for lack of a better word, the wrongs of man and how, how that affects women, how they treat women. And this, this is some very real stuff. This is some very real hookup. And, you know, have the potential for re- revenge porn and all that stuff. And if he's into that dark web stuff that uh, that they found about her earlier. So I'm with you. That was uncomfortable. I really didn't like it, but I'm not supposed to like it. I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable because it is a it's a despicable act. It's a violation and it's a very personal violation. And it also leads to questions about whether or not he drugged her. Um, The only interaction that we see at the end is them going into the apartment. They don't see anything before or after. The issue for me is if he was going to stick her with a needle and get the Hulk blood, that to me would have triggered something and woken her up, no matter how thin the needle was. We know that no needle can pierce her skin as She-Hulk, so they have to get her in Jen Walters form. And this is a very deviant plan by the leader or whoever, and we'll get into that in a second. But you charm offense, you go on charm offensive, you weasel your way in, you get what you need. Why wouldn't she have woken up once she was poked with a needle? Why wouldn't she have hulked out when she got poked with a needle? And on top of all that, why does he need the picture? Because he's clearly already identified that she is the target. He knows that she is the ones whose blood that he needs. So why would he need the picture for tag and identification purposes? I, I don't I don't understand that. See, that's the thing. I don't think it I don't think it is for identification purposes. I think it's truly meant at to shame, embarrass and 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 make her feel vulnerable. 
because you she's know, it's, it's either that or he's taking a picture of the spot where he to, to show that he did extract the blood and that's not from somebody else. I, I, w- I would really hazard to guess that that picture is going to show up on the dark web and it's going to make like you can't hurt her while she she hope. But this is a way to, to show that, see, you still are vulnerable. And this is a this complete violation of you makes you the most vulnerable. Even your she, even you being she hope cannot stop you from being uh, uh, violated and put you in this vulnerable state like this does. Which is very much in keeping with the theme of the show, which has made a lot of angry nerd dudes very unhappy. Well, yeah, well, nerd dudes are not happy at all. And they've, you know, a certain sect have not been happy with this show. Um, I wonder why. I mean, I'm happy with the show. I love the show. I look forward to it every Thursday because it, it takes me back to a time when TV, when they made this kind of stuff. You know, they don't make Ally McBeal anymore. They don't make Boston legal anymore. They don't make um, the practice anymore. Like they they don't make like the legal courtroom stuff we get is stuff like the good wife. Um, It's stuff like um, the law and orders, the 17 different versions of law and order that we had um, at one point. It's it's. you know, the good place or the good practice. Um, it's, it's all those kind of things. It's not the light. It's not night court. And this is very much a night court Ally McBeal hybrid that yes, has a whole lot to say about femininity and existence as a female in the 21st century and, and chauvinism and hatred and all of the things, right? It's definitely got a messaging to it. But I would literally sit and watch 22 episodes of the show. And I, I cannot honestly say the same thing about any of the other Marvel shows, including Hawkeye, which I really loved. I, you know, like, I can't say that about any of the other shows. This show I would watch 22 episodes of just case of the week, bring CD list Marvel character in like, you know, man bulk and, you know, have a weird random case. Dude, dude committing suicide every time he has, you know, doesn't want to confront an issue like bring out the the weirdos and the crazies of the Marvel Universe and do a case of the week show. I don't need it to be like, oh, my God, it's Planet Hulk. Like, I don't need it to all be leading to some grand 360 shot of Abomination, She-Hulk and Hulk all standing back to back fighting some kind of evil demon. I don't need that. I just need this show to be about Jennifer Walters finding some inner peace and happiness. And if that leads to her being the crap out of, you know, some as guardian construction workers known as wrecking crew, then more power to her. But like, I don't need it to be, you know, the all encompassing threat thing. Yeah. And again, it's cause, cause like you're the same age I am. Like you, you know, those shows like right. Night court was a thing. Allie McBeal was a thing. Yeah. So yeah, but so with nerds, they nerds are really weird. Like I accept it as what it's trying to be. It is a sitcom. They said it was a sitcom and that is all it is trying to be. It's a sitcom in the Marvel universe. Um, and I see the trappings of all those other shows and like those shows that I watched a lot of um, for me, you know, it's the whole comedy of it. And, you know, like those shows, 
the comedy is hit or miss. Sometimes the comedy is really good. Sometimes it's not. But I accept that in the show. What nerds' problem are is like like you said, and and I hate this because it's like they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Because yes, they want now they need to know Daredevil's in it. They want Daredevil. They want how does it all connect to everything? How does it keep building to the big uh, hang in the sky? And then on the other side of their mouth, they're saying why Marvel can't tell just individual stories. It always has to build into this larger Marvel universe. When this show shows that you can do both, it still exists in the same world, but it's its own She-Hulk story. And they're choosing to tell it this way. If you don't like the, the, the method, the conveyance of them telling the story, if you don't like sitcoms, I get it. And it's not for everything. There are going to be things Marvel makes that I don't like. Like, I'm really not thrilled about having to watch Werewolf by Night, but, you know, that's just my personal preference. I'm not taking yes, it out. Yes, but there's there's the, the inner story. music nerd in you. There's the inner music nerd in you that needs to see if Michael Chino can transcend from being a brilliant composer and award-winning composer to being a director of film. Much like Black Widow and Age of Ultron, that's a question I don't need answered, but you know, it's here. So I guess I got to deal with it, but I didn't, I never needed to know that. I know the guy's a good composer and I could have ended at that, but he, if you know, this is something he wants to do. That's exciting. I'm just not a fan of the subject matter, but that's just me. I don't, but I'm not going to go cry about it and say that the, 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 the feature sucks because of that. If you don't like sitcoms, so be it. Don't watch She-Hulk or watch it and just appreciate the parts you like, which are the She-Hulk and, you know, Marvel trappings, the Daredevil stuff. It just, at the end of the day, it all comes down to people don't know how to like what they like and understand that there are going to be things that they don't like, even within things that they like and being able to accept that. How much of it do you think is the radical? Maybe radical isn't the right word, but how much of it do you think is the desexualization of the character? Because in comic form, She-Hulk is often drawn in a much more provocative way than most people in comic books. Um, The costume that we know that the tailor made for her that she will ultimately wear is not overly sexualized in much the same way that Wanda's outfit in Age of Ultron and really up until uh, up and through Multiverse of Madness is not overly sexualized. The way that Black Widow post Iron Man 2 isn't really overly sexualized. Um, How much of it do you think is them being frustrated that they're not getting, for lack of a better term, their nerdgasm dream of She-Hulk and more of, you know, just a normal legal comedy. So uh, you say all that. And then my first thought is like watching YouTube reviews of like, you know, like what I would consider to be sane nerd people and how much these nerds have the hots for the She-Hulk in the show. Like, I mean, me, I'm watching the show. I, I have, 
no sexualized thoughts about She-Hulk at all. I'm just enjoying it. But I watch them and I'm like, they're really, they like how the men in that show treated Jen when she became She-Hulk, specifically like that doctor. These dudes were like, were like that. Like she turned to She-Hulk and they were, it got them going. So to hear you say, to hear you say that, which is very much true, they're not overly sexualizing her. They're just portraying her as a woman. When she turns to She-Hulk, yes, her proportions and her muscle mass and all that makes her a a a like a physical specimen. But they're not like putting her in bikinis and things like that. She just dressed normal, and people are attracted to her. So to to think that. There are nerds that were just waiting for like bikini She-Hulk because I, I, you know, I grew up in the nineties. I saw those pictures. Um, that's like really wild to me, especially because I've like I've started reading the later issues of She-Hulk. She's not treated like she's not treated that way. She is a woman that's in control of her body, in control of her sexuality, but she's not overly sexualized in the runs, the later runs that I've read. So, I, and I know most people that are nerds, they, they've read those runs too, or at least are not, can see them and know that that's the case. And we've been moving in this very visual uh, medium of comics away from overly sexualizing women to portraying them just as heroic and, you know, as the men are, are trying to balance that out it's not it's not balanced now but it's more than it was before so i i know people are upset about that but it just rings so false because it's not a thing um it, it shouldn't be an issue like she's still an attractive person as she hulk it's just you can't see every square inch of her body and the movies, as you as you pointed out, pretty much since Iron Man two have been like, you know, we're not going to do that. Yeah, they might have form fitting suits. So do the dudes. They've made more references to physical appearances of the dudes than the women. They're not overly sexualizing them. So it's been like ten years of that. Why? What is your issue? Yeah, and to be quite honest, like. The more time I spend with Jen and the more time I spend with the actress who is portraying her, the more I want to see her interact with Brie Larson. The more I want to see her interact with, you know, Natalie Portman or not Natalie Portman, but like I want to see her interact with other women in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Like I could very easily see her and Tessa Thompson and Valkyrie having a drink. That'd be a good time. I'd watch an entire episode of just that. Um, and that's and that's a compliment. Like, I don't like I don't need to see green titties in a white see through shirt uh, dripping water in order to enjoy my Marvel <laughs> entertainment. Um, that was a interpretation of the character in the way that the yellow spandex was an interpretation of Wolverine for a time. Uh, Wolverine also had a brown suit that popped back up around the Wolverine time. Right. When they were shooting the Wolverine. And people speculating that he was going to be in that suit. Like, there have been different interpretations of Wolverine. There have been different interpretations of Cyclops. Like, there was an interpretation and a run at a specific point in our, in, in She-Hulk's existence 
where she was this overly sexualized, sleeping with everybody, skinny, teeny weeny bikini thing. And that was one person or one group of people's interpretation for a specific point in time. Over the course of time, over the course of runs, that has changed. There was a there was a run where Tony Stark was president of the United States and a total douchebag and doing evil things. <laughs> Doesn't mean that that's the version of Tony Stark that Marvel chose to adapt for the 2008 Iron Man film. Like, it, there's no such thing as the definitive Tony Stark or the definitive Wolverine or the definitive She-Hulk. It's interpretations, because the whole thing is multiple people have taken on these these uh, characters in different comic book runs, so you have a lot of different variations to choose from and mesh together. I mean, Whiplash in um, Iron Man 2 is an amalgamation of at least two different villains. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. one villain. It's an amalgamation of two different villains' as origin story. So, like, they're not doing anything super faithful to canon and to, to comic book lore. And I'm sorry, but if they choose to interpret the later versions but more than the the 90s versions i'm okay with that as as you should it's what's important is getting the characters that you know or don't know on the screen so you can know them um you know maybe meet them for the first time or enjoy them in this new medium and not not harp on meaningless stupid stuff because you can't get your way I mean, even the interpretation of Daredevil that we're going to get in his in his conversation, and that's all it's going to be, is a conversation with him and Jen, right? Like, even in that interpretation, he's going to be wearing a different suit than the one that we saw him in in any of the Netflix run. Right. It's it's going to be different than any of the, the Affleck suits. So mm. right then and there... There, you're going to get something that is a different interpretation than the thing you fell in love with five years ago. Right. So, like, you know, I don't see you yelling and screaming because they're not putting him in the same suit Ben Affleck was in. It, they just have to find some way to be unhappy. Indeed. And so we will end this podcast by talking about or by referencing something that is very important that all people know. All people need to know that Thomas Morstead punted a football into another man's butt. And that this happened on live television while Thomas Morstead punted the football into a man's butt and caused his team to attain a safety. This is different than the butt fumble, which we all know was a lie perpetrated by ESPN, the NFL, and NBC in an effort to keep the Latino man down. That is all. I, I kind of just don't want to say anything because I, I, I don't know what to say to that. The butt fumble, false. The butt punt, absolutely real. <sighs> look, look, y'all. I am not going to let him do this to my blood pressure. If you want to hear what I think about that, go to the end of last week's episode because it's the exact same thing. I'm going to stay here and stay mellow. I'm not letting him do this to me tonight. Nope. And that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. And I can't believe I had to entertain that stuff at the end. I'm at the Mets Theory. And uh, our producer is at Grant L. Fletcher. And uh, his new Twitter cooperative or uh, his new Twitter page for all of his work is at 
need underscore an underscore alibi, uh, which is where you can find the link to all of our past episodes. And uh, Grant is at Grant L. Fletcher. Thank you very much, and congratulations to Jackman on returning to the MCU. Yay.